Having had the family as a first mover and in investing in us at the same time, we are looking for those other investors because it's only gonna allow us to continue the momentum that we have today. Excellence, professionalism, innovation, and collegiality. These are the values the Sam and Walton College of Business explores in education, business, and the lives of people we meet every day. I'm Matt Waller, Dean of the Walton College, and welcome to the Be Epic Podcast. I have with me today Ross Duvall, who is president and CEO of Heartland Forward. He has been a Walton Fellow with the Walton Family Foundation. For almost 20 years, he was with the Milken Institute and served as chief research officer. And he has other amazing experiences. So glad to have you here, Ross. Thank you for joining us. I'm glad to be here, Matt. It's a great opportunity to be part of your podcast. And I also have with me today Blake Woolsey, who is Chief Communications and Development Officer for Heartland Forward. And she has extensive experience in communications. She formerly was Executive Vice President of Mitchell Communications for almost 10 years. But I got to know Blake a long time ago, back in the 90s, when she was Director of Development for the Walton College. Yes. <laughs> and she was uh, arguably the most successful Director of Development we've ever had. Well, I loved my job. So, and it was right time, right place. Well, sure. <laughs> it is such a thrill to have you both here. And Ross, of course, I started following your publications when you were at the Milken Institute because they were so relevant to things I was interested in, like entrepreneurship and higher education and technology commercialization. So you have a long history in looking at these kinds of variables. And now that you've been with Heartland Forward, would you mind just providing a brief overview of what Heartland Ford is and its mission? Glad to do so, Matt. This was a remarkable opportunity for me personally, as you know, I'm from and of the Heartland. And the ability to focus my research areas in programmatic impact areas in entrepreneurship, innovation, university technology transfer, the role of industrial R&D, building human capital, STEM, on the center of the country. With the idea, what we refer to as the heartland, it's 20 states as we define it, it's a large heartland from Michigan in the northeast, south to Alabama, west to Texas, and north to North Dakota, and everything in between, so it's those 20 states there. But to really focus on how can we improve economic performance in those 20 states? We're based here in Northwest Arkansas, but our footprint is across the American heartland. And I was approached by family members, Walton family members, uh, back in early 2017. And by oh, the summer of 2017, we'd made a, an agreement that this was, there was a pathway forward. There was a need for this because there was a divergence in economic growth between the coasts and of its knowledge intensity, its technology focus, and per capita incomes were not keeping up in the center of the country with what was happening on the coast. And so that's where this idea came from, was to try and improve job creation in the heartland, the quality of those jobs that are created, and all the attributes from human capital, innovation, entrepreneurship, health, well-being, 
to boost things here. Well, you know, one thing I've always liked about your research is you write it in a way that is very accessible, <laughs> even though you're using lots of sophisticated statistics, but it's also actionable because you your research uncovers which variables are making a big difference. And so I know that um, it's interesting because I remember the first report I read of yours, I can't remember when it was, but I thought, well, with this being known, I'm surprised all regions aren't implementing these kinds of things. But you know, it's an interesting point you make, Matt. <laughs> I, I sometimes feel the same, same way. Sometimes some of my research staff um, gets upset with me because I say, no, you've written that for an academic journal. And there's a place for that, but that's not the audience we're trying to address here. But as an example, uh, the, the greatest um, kind of confidence boost and uh, positive statement that one can make about your work was what I experienced at the Milken Institute Global Conference just a couple weeks ago. I was in a meeting with Lowell Milken, who is Mike Milken's brother, and you know has worked with the Milken Family Foundation since he was in his early 30s. And he had been having private meetings with governors across the country, Governor of Hawaii, Governor of Virginia, Governor of Arkansas was there as well, <laughs> Governor of Kentucky. And he had one of our reports out on entrepreneurship. He had it, the pages flipped, and it showed, uh, it was a chart, I'm going to try and explain it, at X and Y axis, uh, the Y axis being knowledge intensity of young firms, firms five years of age or less, what percent of employees had at least a bachelor's degree or above. And then on the, on the y-axis, it had uh, the percent of employment at private firms, the five years of age or less of total employment, so what that share was. So it kind of gives you a sense of the knowledge intensity as well as the overall kind of Main Street entrepreneurship. And Lowell was telling each of these governors who subsequently informed me, <laughs> he told them, this is the most important thing you should be looking at. If I were, you know, evaluating your performance, this is what I would look to. So that's what you're trying to do when you're conducting the research. You can't a priori know where it's going to end up. You have a hypothesis. You have to test it. But not everyone wants to see your statistical bells and whistles, and mm. you put them in the appendix. Now, that drives some of my staff crazy, but that's okay. <laughs> Yeah, but I think as from a comms perspective, since communications is really where my focus is and we think ourselves as a think and do tank, and really for us that's a differentiator because a lot of people are think tanks, but really we're looking at the think as applied research to then be able to then inform the programmatic, the do work of ours. And when I'm from a communications perspective, you know for anybody who's done communications, the very first thing you think about is who are who's our audience and who are we communicating to? And the reality is we can't make it so complicated, Matt, that people who are, say, a, say I'm a checker at a grocery store, but I serve on my city council in my local community, that I don't understand what Heartland Ford is sharing with me to where I actually could understand it and help drive a policy decision sitting from the city council you know, from that, that seat that I'm sitting in. So we have to make it to where everybody can understand it, not just some people understand it, because we're trying to educate people in the process as to what can make their economy successful. So that's a lot of different um, eyes and ears that we need to be communicating to. Well, you know, Blake, you also have a lot of experience in 
this region and in the Heartland. What made you interested in joining Heartland Forward? <laughs> I guess one, because I've always considered myself a builder. I love drafting behind great leaders. You know that because we both worked for Doyle Williams, yes. who was here as a dean. Was and that great. was why that time here was so incredible because it was such a building um, moment. And when Ross and then also Buddy Philpot of the Walton family, he had been the executive director for some time there, approached me about this. It was the idea of starting something that really could have an impact. And every time I wake up in the morning and think about putting my feet on the side of the bed to do something in life, I really want to know that it has a deep purpose of serving other people. So how could somebody not be um, passionate about such a mission. I've always been in the heartland. I grew up in Texas. I've spent more time here in the state of Arkansas, and I see the need. I see the need, so how can I help contribute to that? Probably the primary reason, of course. You know, Ross, one thing that's really neat about you is you're a strong researcher. You've spent a lot of your career doing research, but you're also a leader. You're mm -hmm. leading Heartland Forward now as CEO. And I know when you were at the Milken Institute, you were head of research, so you were, you had your hands in many different pots. And I remember the first time before you were with Heartland Forward, but when I spent some time with you when you were with uh, the Milken Institute, I could tell after a day or two that you had a million different projects going on. I, I don't know how you kept it straight. What made you excited about coming and, and starting this initiative here? Well, it's a great question, Matt. Um, you know, I was born and raised outside of Columbus, Ohio, in a small town um, called Lancaster, Ohio. Uh, and I'd spent most, spent my entire adult career other than uh, one stint in Omaha, Nebraska, my first job out of graduate school with the Union Pacific Railroad as an economic forecaster there. But on the East Coast, principally Philadelphia, where I worked at Wharton Econometrics and Chase Manhattan Bank, uh, and I'd worked for CSX both in Baltimore and Jacksonville, Florida. But then I had spent, you know, 20 years at the Milken Institute in L.A., uh, you know, embedded in, in the West Coast entrepreneurial ecosystem, Silicon Valley, and all that had been studying this. And I, I'd always, in the studies I had done over the years, one was in Arkansas back in the early 2000s, done work in Nebraska, uh, Minnesota, Minneapolis in particular. And I always wanted to see what could happen if we applied some of the principles that we learned from what was happening in the coast to convince political leaders, business leaders, and other key stakeholders the changes they needed to make to be able to grow per capita incomes, create high-quality jobs. And you can just see the disjointedness. Of course, there were external factors at play. Um, when China entered the World Trade Organization, you saw the import penetration uh, in communities across the country coming from China and a direct association with what that share was in the imports. And so there had been a great deal of dislocation in the heartland. And I, I just felt it was such a great opportunity that members of the Walton family were so passionate and dedicated to it that they were willing to provide us with the seed capital to form Heartland Forward. 
Blake, of course, you've been engaged in development work. You've been engaged in uh, working for a marketing firm, yes. Mitchell. <laughs> yes. I would think those are complementary. I would hope so. It's been my career. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. I've liked it. <laughs> how, how are you bringing those experiences to Heartland Forward? Well, again, starting and building, it's been great to be able to have such uh, a runway uh, and to be able to think that every single time we come in contact with somebody, they need to know about us. And so first and foremost, it's about amplifying our brand. Mm -hmm. And so that's so important. But at the same time, it's telling the story that we are a public charity. We are 501c3 and explaining that even though the Walton family, as we know them, are first movers, we know how generous they are and they will see that there is a need and they will move to help figure out what's the solution for that. But at the same time, they know for our credibility, which is part of the story, right? Which is, that's when you begin to intersect that calm side of, yes, but it cannot just be us alone for the credibility of the work of trying to help accelerate the economic performance in the middle of the country. That is all, that's gonna be requiring everybody to put their hand in and say, this is how I can help. Um, and this is how we'd like to partner. So I'm hoping that my experience is helping amplify educate, inform, so that people do understand what the need is and how we truly are in just the three years that we have been in existence, that we are have so much momentum and making such inroads that we're a good bet to invest in because we're seeing already some of our metrics being achieved, which is exciting, yeah. which was really exciting. Ross, in your research and initiatives, what have you identified as the key strengths and opportunities for growth within the Heartland region? First of all, where we're sitting on a flagship university is a prime example. The Heartland has some great public universities and some private ones as well. And on the East and West Coast, those universities, we think about MIT, you think about Stanford on the West Coast, they've been heavily involved in building their entrepreneurial ecosystems through commercialization of research, technology transfer, having new firms started based on intellectual property that was created at those institutions. And I just think there's so many more opportunities to engage in those activities in the heartland. And it's partly because some governors over the years have not been as involved in understanding the importance of it. Uh, leadership amongst universities in many areas of the heartland I don't think have been attuned to how important their role is in the modern knowledge-based economy. And so partly it's about explaining these facts to leaders at the university level, at the business level, and at the policy leader level, at the government's level. So that's, that's a major area. I think also is reforming, adjusting the curriculums that are offered in many programs so in many cases, businesses speak a different language than the academy does, and they don't know how to interact. Uh, I, I think also another area is career technical education, which we, my dad was involved in vocational education in the state of Ohio for many years, and I remember him telling me when I was in undergraduate school, son, we made vocational education a dirty word, and I pointed out, dad, that's two words. Uh, but <laughs> I didn't get slapped. Uh, you had to know my dad. But, but anyhow, his point was well taken. And what he meant is we told people, if your kids do not go into a 
college-ready program if, to go to a four-year degree, th there's no future for them, basically. And so we told them, you're, you're kind of lost. Well, we have seen today that you can actually achieve a middle-class income through career technical education, whether that's a two-year associate degree, whether that's certifications, but the curriculums need to be adjusted on a regular basis to fit the needs of employers. And so there's been this large disconnect. Uh, I, I would say those are some of the, the major areas, both building human capital, the involvement of universities, and, and overall, just engagement in entrepreneurship. A lot of my studies have shown that, and others have as well. I and remember one of your studies really showed the importance of new business starts. Um, I can't remember what you titled that. Young firms. Yeah, young firms. It was a key driver in some yes. of the studies. So we've done a lot of – this gets a little bit to the more academic side, um, but – the federal government has a number of databases that are never linked together, and so there hasn't been much research done on kind of business dynamics, looking at the age of firms, their employment levels, and some characteristics of them. And so I, I've long argued in analyzing the data, yeah, startups are great, but it's what you do with those startups that really matter. So you need to be able to start new companies, but also be able to scale them up. And that gets into access of early stage risk capital, which is another issue for the heartland states compared to the coast. And when you're creating companies that create jobs, you're going to have more firms that achieve kind of middle market status where they scale up rapidly and go from employing 250 people to 2,500 people. And it's those communities that have the highest proportion of those companies that are scaling up that are ones that are creating those high-quality jobs and opportunities for people. And so that is so essential. That happens in the heartland, but it's just not as frequent of an occurrence here. And so a lot of our efforts are geared towards building entrepreneurship at the earliest stages. You know, Blake, there's all kinds of great research that comes out of Heartland Forward, like what, what Ross was talking right. about. Who is your target market for those those research reports, and how do you market it? Right. Well, so as you can imagine, I am always trying to cultivate relationships with our national business, economic, you know, those folks that have that beat. Um, and so oftentimes we're not looking for them necessarily to say, oh, they just released this report and this is what it says. It's really talking and knowing what they're writing about and how can the reports that we're producing inform their story so that we are a resource for them. And they can say, at Heartland Forward says X, Y, and Z when it comes to this point that they're trying to make in their story. So that's been one huge lift for me is to make sure we have really strong relationships. And you know how small newsrooms are right now, and it's hard sometimes to get their attention. But I always say, we want to be your Heartland economic resource. We want you to be thinking about us whenever you have a question, whether we can answer it or not, because if we can't answer it, we will refer you to another think tank who's got that area of focus. But for the for the most part, that's where we begin. But then we start even moving further down into who are the policymakers that need to be aware of this, whether I'm reaching out to a chief of staff or a comms director to a governor, or we're moving into even a layer of counties or cities 
to where everybody is in chambers being aware because we're trying to the point about entrepreneurship is for people to understand that they don't need to just be chasing smokestacks because that is a one in yes. a mil million shot, like an Elon Musk going to the Austin Pflugerville area. What you could be doing is really supporting your startups in a way and those existing businesses to keep driving them forward, to get access to the capital that they need and the support that they need to really help your economy. And so we really do look at it as a myriad of stakeholders, which requires all different people making phone calls and emails. I mean, we've got two interns who are helping us even in reaching out just so that it gets the traction, some of these reports get the traction that they need. And so if Blake, or a communications director, does their job, <laughs> now, Blake just attended the Milken Institute Global <laughs> Conference with me and met Skip Reimer, the former head of communications yeah. there, and she learned that it's true that I used to evaluate our Oh, yeah, yeah oh, I know what he's going to say. So... <laughs> <laughs> One of the favorite things I used to do was when we released the report that morning, if the website went down, it was a success. He wants the website to crash. So that's my aspirational goal is have we're going to have our website crash. crash. Because there's so many people accessing it. Well, using some of the new AI tools, we could probably We might be able to do that. that. That's, <laughs> Matt, that's you need to help true. me. You need to help me, Matt. Let's figure that well, out. Well, then she'll put it in her objectives and I'll have to pay her for it. <laughs> So you were talking about the opportunities. One thing I thought of, too, is small businesses. We've had a number. I mean, I've been a professor here for 29 years, and I've seen a lot of our alumni start their own businesses, everything from you know restaurants to technology companies that are not scalable, but they're small businesses, and, and many, many other kinds of small businesses. Construction, and I've seen some of them do quite well. I mean, way more uh, successful than I would have ever imagined 30 years ago when I was first meeting some of these people. I, it seems like that's also an important variable in this. Is that right? Oh, no, it, it, it clearly is. So in addition to starting software companies, um, other tech companies, um, whether it's social media, whatever it might be, uh, the digital economy, there, there is a Main Street as well. So that means it's not necessarily a business that's going to reach kind of middle market status, but could employ, you know, family members, maybe it employs 50 people. But the more of those you have, um, there's a high multiplier effect as well across the economy. So you can't just think about technology-driven entrepreneurship, although it clearly has about a two-to-one relationship. Technology entrepreneurship is twice as important as other mm -hmm. forms of, of, of entrepreneurship in terms of their longer-term job creation right. impacts, but they are critical to the diversity because if you're left with an economy with two or three large employers without entrepreneurship occurring, being seated, that ecosystem around it, if some negative shock occurs in those industries of those employers, those large ones, you can take down a whole area. Just look to upstate New York, what happened to Kodak. It's a good point. Uh, you, you look around, these were technology leaders in their fields, and you know they didn't stay at the leading edge of technology, and somebody else came along and arbitraged them away. It's a good point. 
I want to share one of the programs. So I've, we've talked about applied research and young firms as a report, which continues to resonate with so many different people. And it was one of the first, one of the, one of the first mm -hmm. of a few reports that Heartland Forward has done. But on that applied research and it informing our programmatic work, we really look when we are a think and do tank at the bootstraps on the ground. And so we partner with an organization right now called Builders and Backers led by Donna Harris. She was in the Obama administration. She founded 1776. And she had done a bunch of research to over what I think she thought was gonna be a short period of time and end up being three years of research to say, why do we not have as many entrepreneurs? What is going on? To learn that it's everybody's got an idea, but it's getting that idea off the sidelines because some people aren't banked to be able to go get a loan. They, they don't have family members who can loan them money. They don't want to quit their job. They may be in school. And so we have started a program called Community Growth Program where we go into communities within the heartland. We usually work with cohorts somewhere between 10 and 20. The community has a vested interest financially as well as us by providing the expertise. And we take 90 days with the applicants who we have chosen to take their ideas teach them how to put those ideas into practice to become a business. We give them a $5,000 non-dilutive grant, so there's no strings at attached for them to experiment on that idea to see if it's gonna stick. And is this a business that I can actually take and scale or not? So this is a really good, this part of the conversation really demonstrates the think and do yes. Yes. part. Mm -hmm. um, and that's, that's a really neat innovation because you're right. So many think tanks, they think, 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 but they don't have any do piece. Here's an example right. of how you're actually doing something with the results of, right. of the research. But we, and we want the policymakers and other leaders to be looking at us saying, what's happening on the ground? I mean, you get it from this level, but you also get it from this level for us to be that resource as well. What's happening? What are you seeing? What are you what are you hearing right now? Because that's the kind of resource that we see ourselves as. That's right, and a great example of this was um, Jim Walton was in Birmingham, Alabama, working on some K through 12 education reforms and meeting with the mayor of Birmingham. And we have a community growth program cohort in Birmingham currently, and so he was there meeting with the mayor, and the mayor was telling him what great things they have <laughs> achieved through our community growth program uh, training some of their younger people and, and even middle-aged individuals the basics of entrepreneurship, how to think like an entrepreneur, and pointing out that their labor force participation rate of those that did not graduate from high school was so much lower than the rest of the country. And why was that? Well, part of the answer was levels of entrepreneurship were much lower. They had not been trained to see that as an option for them if they couldn't necessarily find a job or want a job in an area uh, that they were qualified for. And so we've been working with the mayor's office there to help train some of these people to think more entrepreneurially and how to ideate and envision, is this a scalable idea into a business? What great stories. <laughs> um, and to think Heartland Ford so young and you're already making an impact. Here's my favorite one, though, Matt. Bear the, with me for this one. So I, for many years prior to COVID and you know the whole supply chain interruptions that resulted from that, 
was pointing out to people that the advantages of locating advanced manufacturing in China were diminishing to the extent because of the wage differentials were narrowing and the productivity gaps were still large. Productivity in America, in most cases, still substantially higher than it is in China. And so it didn't make sense to keep putting all these semiconductor plants and chip plants and other you know, high-end technology uh, manufacturing there. And it took COVID to really see that we've become over-reliant on China in our supply chain. So Intel was then thinking about maybe we need to diversify our base as well. They'd never located a plant east of the Mississippi River in the United States. And we did a report on reshoring manufacturing, can the heartland lead the way, uh, that was partially supported by Jobs Ohio, which is their economic development arm. That was utilized to inform Intel's leadership and their CEO, Pat Gelsinger, that they should be taking a look at the American heartland. And in fact, when it was announced at the White House, Pat Gelsinger, the CEO of Intel, said, we put silicon in Silicon Valley, and now we're putting silicon in the heartland. <laughs> the, that computer chip plant, too, initially, is being located 25, 25 miles north of where I grew up in Lancaster, Ohio. That was the middle of a cornfield. It had a butchering shop out in the front. It, it's a huge mm. facility going in there, and I had the chance to tour it just as they were breaking ground. So it was a remarkable kind of once-in-a-career opportunity where many times you feel you've done work to help set the stage for something but wasn't there to see it through. Yes. And this was one of those cases where because of serendipity, things got done quickly, and there it was. It wow, that is what a <laughs> <It> story. <laughs> yep. Well, Ross and Blake, congratulations on the amazing success you already have and for the vision going forward. And thank you for what you're doing for the Heartland. Well, thank you, Matt, for the opportunity to, to share the work that the organization is doing. Yeah, thank you. On behalf of the Sam M. Walton College of Business, I want to thank everyone for spending time with us for another engaging conversation. You can subscribe by going to your favorite podcast service and searching Be Epic, B-E-E-P-I-C.